This is BMO Smarter Investing for March 2023. Join top BMO economists Douglas Porter, Sal Gutierrez, and Jennifer Lee for trends and forecasts across the economic landscape so you can make more thoughtful investment decisions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sal Guattari, and joining me is Douglas Porter, Chief Economist, to discuss the impact of recent financial stress on the economy and interest rates. Just when we thought the biggest threat was inflation, now seemingly comes another byproduct of the too loose policies of recent years, cracks in the financial system. Doug, it's early days, and there's much we still don't know about this situation, but are we heading for a repeat of 2008? Thanks, Alan. As you say, there's a lot we don't know, but I think one thing we do know is it's not going to be a repeat of 2008. There are many significant differences between this latest episode. And of course, just as a reminder, 2008 actually began back in 2007. Some would argue it began even earlier than that with the housing bubble in the U.S., but the really big financial tremors began as early as 2007. And I would argue that we weren't really through it until early 2009. And I would just use that as a baseline to remind that we could have weeks and months of stability. Now that we've started to see the cracks, I don't think anybody can completely relax, even if it's not going to be a repeat of that traumatic event in 2008. I think the one lesson is that just when you think things have calmed down and gone away, something else emerges. I guess the good news this time is the banking sector as a whole, whether we're talking Canada, U.S., or globally, is in much, much stronger shape overall this time, much better capitalized. We don't have these mysterious lurking losses that we can't wrap our hands around, such as we had in some of the mortgage loans back in 2008. We don't have that this time. There's much more clarity in terms of what's going on. And policymakers have responded very forcefully and early. So I think while it's still concerning and certainly bears watching, I think it's safe to say that it's not going to raise anywhere or rise anywhere close to the level of what we saw in 2000. Yeah, I would tend to agree that we're nowhere close to a 2008 situation. But as you mentioned, there probably is some reason to be a little concerned as well. And I think clearly a lot of lessons have been learned since that traumatic episode of 2008. At that time, policymakers basically were at the bottom of the learning curve. They had a lot of catching up to do. And have made a lot of progress in the last 15 years. Much better regulation, including the stress test. Now banks are much better managed their risks. And I think the policy responses are just much faster now. We saw that exactly a week ago or so with the Fed's bank term funding program announced just within days of Silicon Valley Bank's troubles. Definitely less reason to be concerned about a repeat of 2008. But then again, there are a couple of problems today that are different than 2008 and not for the good. Inflation is certainly much higher and that could tie the Federal Reserve's hands a little bit. And same thing for the Bank of Canada and fiscal debts are much higher as well. So even the government might have a little less flexibility and be a little less nimble in dealing with any trouble that comes our way this time compared to 15 years ago. Now, assuming no further pronounced fallout from the bank stress, what impact will these recent events have on the U.S. economy? So let's take the most optimistic scenario, which is basically along those lines that there are no other smoking guns out there and things do calm down. I think there are still some net costs to the economy as a result of this. I think it's fairly clear that at a minimum, credit will tighten somewhat 
in the U.S., I think to a much lesser degree in Canada, but I think it's pretty safe to say that credit will tighten. And I think that's especially among some of the smaller banks and where that will largely show up is for small businesses and for commercial real estate. Now, as a bit of an offset, let's face it, the one big market adjustment as a result of this stress has been a very significant decline in short to medium to longer term interest rates. And so bond yields have come down a lot with a reassessment in terms of what the central banks will do in terms of overall tightening. And that will somewhat offset the credit tightening we're likely to see. But Nat, I think this does point to somewhat milder growth in North America and U.S. in particular. It's curious that we really haven't changed our forecast as a result of this episode, because arguably we came into it with a somewhat overly pessimistic picture. We've been saying for six months that we thought the North American economy would go through a mild downturn this year. That was looking a bit offside, a bit pessimistic through the first couple months of the year as the North American economy really started this year on a stronger footing than I think many of us expected. But if anything, what we've seen is this coming credit tightening has probably raised the conviction on our call that we are at least likely to go through a mild downturn in North America over the next six months. Yeah, just to add to those comments, the three main channels of impact will be through credit, confidence, and conditions. And most likely, it's tighter credit conditions that will be the main channel of impact on the economy. Now, credit standards were already tightening before these events. This will only aggravate that trend. It's encouraging, though, that the latest weekly data they did not show a pullback in overall bank lending, even from smaller banks. Now, still early days, but that's something to keep an eye on. And I think going forward, we'll have to keep a close eye on the impact on business confidence and whether it translates into less hiring, because that's been a key source of resilience, especially the U.S. economy. And notice the Federal Reserve did not change its economic forecast all that much, at least for this year not anticipating much of an impact. It did shave down its growth forecast for next year by four-tenths or percentage points, a little more significant. I assume most of that is simply reflecting the fallout from this bank stress. So there, there clearly will be some longer-term effects. As you mentioned, though, we have not changed yet our forecast for the U.S. economy. I guess a good placeholder is to assume that the stress will merely offset the recent resilience in the economy, thus really just avoiding the need to upgrade our forecasts as we were tempted to do before recent events. Now, Canada's less, less fragmented and highly regulated banking system does suggest more limited effects here. The old saying, when the U.S. sneezes, the world catches a cold. How will Canada's economy likely be impacted? So as much as I said, this isn't 2008, I'm going to take us back to 2008. It's interesting at that time, I think during the very severe stress we went through at that period, many pointed to the fact that Canada had the strongest, most resilient banking system in the world. And I think that was absolutely correct. And yet our economy was not spared at all during the downturn, arguably in the four quarters after Lehman Brothers collapsed in September of 2008, Canada went through the ringer every bit as much as the U.S. did through different channels, even though our banking system was still very healthy. And I, th I think that serves as a little bit of a reminder that even if we do have a very healthy financial system, which we do, the Canadian economy is not an island. We're hurt by, you know, whether it's through the financial market channel, through the commodity price channel, or through the export channel. And so if the U.S. economy really does weaken, it will tend to undercut the Canadian economy. I think this hit might be a little bit lighter for Canada. We haven't seen a significant change in commodity prices, such as what happened in 2008. Also, the auto sector went through a near-death experience in 2008, and that did hit Canada harder than the U.S. In contrast, the auto sector is actually still coming back to health this time. And as an aside, 
even though we've been talking about a recession in North America this year, this is going to be a very odd recession because it's probably one that's going to see auto sales actually rise this year because the producers are still catching up for the production issues of the last couple of years. If I had to wrap it all up, I'd say we can't be complacent here at all. If the U.S. does go through a downturn, I suspect Canada would as well. But I do think there's a good case to be made that Canada will remain relatively resilient. Just as a little aside, we recently got the federal budget from Ottawa. It's interesting that in the budget, they were assuming only 0.3% growth this year for Canada, which is very conservative. We thought we were being cautious, calling for just 0.7% growth in Canada. The Bank of Canada is at 1%, by the way. This year's budget was our, was basically prepared for pretty tough times for the economy. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Canada clearly won't be unaffected by these events, but our strong banking system could insulate us from the worst of the global financial stress. At the same time, might end up benefiting from lower, longer-term interest rates that we're already seeing now. And those benefits will clearly show up more for Canadian consumers than American consumers, simply because we've taken on more debt and are just more sensitive to the run-up in interest rates over the past year. So I think this could come as somewhat of a relief, especially for mortgage holders in Canada, which might translate into somewhat better economic performance here. Now, one thing the turmoil has done is taken the spotlight off inflation, but it's still lurking in the shadows and proving pretty sticky especially in the U.S. and Europe. Is there a silver lining in this financial stress cloud in that it might help calm inflation? I think at the margin, yes. We've seen a little bit of moderation in energy prices, well, especially natural gas. That isn't related to the market stress, but the pullback in oil prices we saw the first couple of weeks of the banking sector strains were largely due to concerns that global growth was going to take a bit of a hit from this. And so I would say at the margin, it actually does the central bankers cause a a little bit. And on top of that, we have seen some moderately encouraging signs that underlying inflation is starting to ebb, especially in Canada. It's a little less obvious so far in the U.S. But big picture, the reality is we've still got a ways to go. We've still got some wood to chop. As I said, at the margin, this will help a little bit. But the reality in Canada, we've still got underlying inflation at close to 5%. It's a little bit above that in the U.S. That's much higher than anything we've dealt with for quite some time. So the short answer is, I do believe there is a small silver lining here, but it doesn't change the fundamental story that the central banks still have a big job to do on that front. Well, the impact, I agree, would probably be quite marginal on inflation, I guess just largely by undercutting consumer confidence and perhaps spending. And I could see households may be a little more inclined to push back against price hikes. They're increasingly worried about the economic outlook. It's quite possible we'll see a little more of a pullback on discretionary services spending, such as travel. And that's been the sector that's basically the main source of inflation pressure. So you could see some marginal benefit from this stress, at least in damping inflation. Now, central bankers, and especially the Fed, caught between that proverbial rock of stubborn inflation and a hard place of potential financial instability, basically two problems that require different policy tools. How will this situation affect the Fed? Yeah, and of course, the initial market reaction to the turmoil was to immediately go back to the old playbook and start looking for rate cuts, not just by the Fed, but even the Bank of Canada and possibly others. And in the early days, of course, a number of central banks had rate decisions almost immediately 
and in, in the heart of some of the worst initial phase of the turmoil. And most of them just made an icy vein decision to keep plowing ahead with rate hikes almost exactly in line with what we would have expected in the weeks before the banking clouds rolled in. And I think this just shows, first of all, to your point, that they're really caught in a tough situation where they've got both financial stress on the one side and still very high underlying inflation on the other side. And clearly, policymakers have tried to separate that into two buckets. One, the interest rate hikes are going to continue to be their tool to fight inflation, and then they're going to use all kinds of other tools to try to relieve the financial stress. We'll see if they can keep doing that. If the turmoil does remain at bay now and dies down, then I think central banks can somewhat relax and basically forge ahead with further interest rate hikes. I would assert that the European Central Bank, for instance, still has to do a lot more. I don't think they're anywhere close to being done, unlike some other central banks. But effectively, I think that is the game plan. If the squall picks up again, then we're going to have to see how brave some of these central banks are. I think there is the possibility, and the markets are still debating hikes again in May, as they've indicated they might. I think if the squalls do whip up again, I think there's a pretty good case to be made that the the Fed should probably move to the sidelines and possibly even pivot, depending on how bad things get down the line. Because to our earlier comments, if the turmoil just continues and worsens, it, it will have an economic impact. And it's it would actually be appropriate eventually for the Fed to stop raising rates and perhaps even reverse course, depending on how bad it gets. I agree. I will really need to bring its A game to communications as it juggles these three mandates, price stability, maximum employment, and now financial stability. I, I can see it talking tough on inflation while pledging basically to quickly reverse course if the financial system needs that support and its tone basically waxing and waning as the data and the events unfold. It's kind of interesting. Uh, St. Louis Regional President Bullard, uh, he's led the charge on raising interest rates in the past year, and he had some interesting comment, still alluding to further rate increases to come. Now, he said it's very important to use those macro prudential tools to deal with the financial system stress, but he also said the Fed has to keep a close eye on inflation, basically indicating his preference to at least move on rates again in May. But clearly the Fed is less likely now to hike another 100 basis points and take rates up close to 6% as the market was pondering before on recent events. Not only would that risk a hard economic landing, it would clearly put more stress on the financial system. So it does have to act much more nimbly now. The Bank of Canada, the first major central bank to pause in raising rates, will it now be forced to reverse gears and cut rates this year? Certainly would come as a relief for mortgage holders in Canada. Yeah, and the bank's in an interesting spot. And first of all, it's important to point out in a way they got lucky because the timing of their most recent rate decision actually preceded just by a matter of days the financial market storm. So they were able to make their decision based on the economic fundamentals alone. And to your point, they were the first major central bank to basically hit the pause button. And we think they are likely to remain on hold through the rest of this year. And we've been saying that for a while, that we think that they go up to four and a half percent and then hold for a long period of time. I think there is a much greater chance that they could be trimming interest rates by the end of the year. At one point, the market had built in big cuts in the second half of the year. I thought that was premature. But there is a narrow path that they could be trimming interest rates before this year is out. That's not our official call. Our call is that they wait until 2024. But I have to say, I've been impressed, especially by the Canadian numbers, how inflation has undershot our estimate the last couple months, and there are some signs of moderation there. Wages have not perked up to the extent that I thought they would. We're definitely getting relief on the energy side. 
The one area where it would really help is if we saw some moderation in food costs. And even on that front, I think there are some encouraging signals that raw food prices are starting to come off a little bit, but I think food is going to be a sticky one here. But generally speaking, my core view is that provided things remain calm, the bank is likely to wait until next year before they start cutting interest rates. I think a lot of things would have to go right on the inflation front to get them actually trimming this year. I totally agree. I can see if the dust settles, the bank will still talk tough on inflation, but really just not walk the walk. That is, it'll consistently warn of the potential need for resuming rate hikes, but just holding back as long as inflation continues to ebb. There is a narrow path towards some rate cuts even earlier than we expect, but that would either have to be because financial stress intensifies and we see a greater economic hit or inflation just surprises on the positive side and just falls much quicker than expected. And it's possible, but I agree. Certainly with food costs still running pretty strong and services inflation still running a bit hot, even though the inflation picture in Canada is much brighter than many other countries, I think the Bank of Canada will play it pretty cautious and delay any rate cuts until early next year. And finally, are there any policy lessons that we can learn from this current financial stress? Well, I'd be interested to hear your comments on that, Sal. But if we think back to the first couple of questions you asked me, assuming it has largely died down, I think probably the most important lesson to learn is that as soon as these sort of issues emerge, it's important for policymakers to jump on them with force early on. And that's what we saw this time. It's not as if the issues died off quickly, but it does seem like it contained the damage relatively quickly. If you think back to 2007, 2008, we went through it stage by stage and it just kept building and building. As I said, the crisis rolled on for more than a year and a half. And I think in hindsight, policymakers should have really attacked it much more aggressively early on when it became pretty obvious that they were dealing with a major episode. I would tend to agree, Doug. I think one lesson, though, from all of this, and I hope policymakers learn it, is that simply excessively loose policies, both monetary and fiscal, can eventually create as much trouble as, say, too tight policies. We know as economists, there's rarely free lunches in economics, although we always seem to need to be reminded of that maxim. Now, the one thing I think we could see here is this will be a real test of the tougher post-2008 regulatory climate. Those new rules were tested in the pandemic, but that was such a, an unusual shock. I think this recent one is much more conventional and hopefully much easier for policymakers to handle. Well, thanks, Doug, for the discussion. I'm sure it will help our listeners become better informed and so as they can make the right investment decisions as they navigate this new headwind on the economic landscape. Well, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening to BMO Smarter Investing, a podcast brought to you by BMO Investor Line. We are here to empower Canadians to invest smarter. For more information on how you can start investing today, visit bmo.com slash online investing. And be sure to subscribe to this show to get the latest episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.